Luke 14, verse 25 through 33. When your friends ask you what are your plans for 2023, I urge you to give serious consideration to making this your sincere plan. The words you hear in verse 33, I am renouncing all to be the disciple of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious God, upon the occasion now of the public reading of Scripture and its preaching, we are in desperate need, O Lord, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to illumine to our hearts and minds the truth of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would allow us to recognize the authority of God therein speaking. And Lord, we pray that your Spirit would come like a good plowman and break up the fallow ground of our hearts making that soil good and ready to receive the good word, the seed of your word. Taking root, Lord, we pray, bringing forth a harvest of righteousness unto your honor, unto your glory, and lives that believe your word and do it. Father, come and help us now. Help our sons today. They are in need of great help. Help our daughters today. They are in need of great help, O Lord. Help their parents today. We are all in need of your help, O Lord, or else we cannot help ourselves. Visit us, we pray, in kindness. Tune our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is God's word. Please be seated. <clears throat> Near the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, on Carlton Hill, you will find a massive structure the Scots have given different nicknames over the years. The structure has been called Scotland's Disgrace, Edinburgh's Folly, even the Pride and Poverty of Scotland, it has been titled. And what is this structure with many shameful names? It is the National Monument of Scotland. It was going to be a glorious project to commemorate all of the Scottish servicemen who died in the Napoleonic Wars. 
the architects who designed it wanted it to look like the Parthenon in Athens. There would be 12 massive columns of marble, followed by walls and ceiling and this grand interior where Scotland could gather to remember their dead, to bury future soldiers, and honor future generals. Well, construction of Scotland's national monument began in 1826. Three years later, it suddenly stopped. They were out of money and could not raise the rest and never have. The project has never been finished. Today, 200 years later, all that remains is the foundation and these 12 marble columns. So here is a monument younger than our own country, but it looks like the ruins from ancient Greece. Now imagine that. You start to build something great, then you have to quit. And now all you have are ruins. A thing that cannot be lived in, a thing that looks like a disgrace, a thing that is a monument to waste and folly. Imagine owning that. Imagine having your name on it. John Hartley in ruins. In our passage today, Jesus Christ comes to tell us how to avoid this. How to avoid building ruins. How to avoid building something that never gets finished. But he is not talking about a monument, a bridge, or a house. He is talking about your faith. Your faith can be left in ruins. Your faith can become a howling wasteland. Some have made shipwreck of their faith, Paul told Timothy, those words, in 1 Timothy 1, 19. <clears throat> in the parable of the sower, our Lord Jesus said, some people hear his word, receive it with joy, believe it for a while, he said, but because they have no root, they fall away. The faith they began, they fail to finish, and they lose their soul. So in today's teaching, Jesus comes to say, your faith must always be costing you something, or else you will ruin it. Faith lives and thrives when there's a cost. It is spurious and faults and dies when there is none. Now, the word faith does not appear in our passage. But that does not mean Jesus' teaching here is about something else. It is about faith and the real cost of faith to endure in faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the Lord's opening words in verse 26. The words he uses describe a beginner's faith. If anyone comes to me, he says, if anyone comes to me, Jesus says. So he is keeping our focus away from all abstractions. Sometimes those are good. Knowledge, assent, trust. But he doesn't bring any of those into this conversation about faith. He doesn't use the word faith. He doesn't use the word believe. 
He makes the issue all about himself. If anyone comes to me, Jesus is pressing himself upon you if you have ears to hear it. Has something about Jesus drawn you to him? Have you started to listen to his word? Have you started to sing his praises in Christian worship? Have you started to pray in Jesus' name? These are what he means by if anyone comes to me. Remember, there's a crowd following him around, verse 25. These are all beginner's faith. But a beginner's faith does not always finish. It's called apostasy. Many people quit the faith because they only wanted a Christian faith that costs them very, very little. Jesus says those people who want a Christian faith that costs them very, very little, those people cannot be his disciple. He says that three times in this short passage. It does not matter what those people think they are doing with Jesus. His judgment of them is rejection. You cannot be my disciple. Yeah, I see you following me. You cannot be my disciple. Jesus does not have to accept us just because we are in the vicinity of Jesus. He rejects anyone who wants a Christian faith that costs them nothing. Why? Because they do not recognize the worth of Jesus Christ. They do not bow to his divinity as son of God. They do not adore his humility as servant of God. They do not shelter in his mediation as high priest of God. They do not confess him as Lord, the Christ of God. Their faith has no root in the supremacy of Christ. So they will not pay the cost of faith. To them, Jesus is not worth renouncing all the things they have in this life. So there are people who start out coming to Jesus, but eventually they are ashamed of his teaching. They realize the value of their reputation among unbelievers will go way down. And they don't want to pay that cost. Or they are eventually ashamed of the salvation of Jesus. They don't want to associate with a Savior who declares his blood mankind's only hope for the forgiveness of sin. Or they eventually become ashamed of the rule and law of Jesus. They don't want to pay the high costs of fighting against their own sin. Their friends think they're fools for such a fight. They don't want to pay the cost of being called a fool. They would rather keep their sin. Jesus says all such people, all who want a low-cost Christ, a discount Christ, they cannot be his disciple because they value the things of this life They value the people of this life more than Jesus himself because they don't know who he is. 
Their life is ruled by things they can see, not by the word they have heard from God's Son. That's why this is about faith. Our Lord Jesus knows how easily we will quit without his word. I wish I could put a little microchip in all of your heads today and have you convince yourself daily, I will quit unless Jesus comes to me again by his word. He knows our temptations. He knows our idolatry. So he comes with this incredibly bold word to save us. That's why he's saying what he's saying, to save his elect, to save his church. Instead of offering himself in a way that won't cost us too much, you see this? He does the exact opposite. He doubles down on his own worth compared to everything you have in this world. Your grandmother, your car, your degrees, Jesus doubles down and says he is worth more than all of it. Put your grandmother in your car and hand her your degree. He's still worth more. And he comes to us with this word because only by such a bold word of his worth will we recognize who he really is. So here's what Jesus says on how to finish what you have started with him. He says, you count the cost at the beginning, and you keep paying the cost all the way to the end. That's Christian faith. That's not a super faith. That's not a special faith. That's not a mature faith. That's Christian faith. These are his words. So what are the costs your faith must pay to finish? A faith that endures to the end. What are those costs? Well, look at verse 25. No, it's in verse 26. Verse 26. You have to stop loving the good things of life more than you love Jesus Christ. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, most of us agree we have to stop loving the bad things of life if we will follow Christ. Here's the list from Mark 7, from our Lord himself. The bad things, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. But there in verse 26, Jesus says we must love him more than even the good things of life. The Father who worked so hard for you and taught you so much, you must stop loving him more than Christ. The mother who wearied herself cleaning and cooking, you must stop loving her more than Christ. The wife who you made so many promises to on your wedding day, you must stop loving her more than Christ. The children whom you want to give so many good things to, you must stop loving them more than Christ. 
our blood brothers, our blood sisters, who are so easy to be with, who are such a comfort to us, you must stop loving them more than Christ. And then he says, your own life. Your own life. Your own tastes. Your own plans. Your own ideas. Your own viewpoints. Your own dreams. Your own looks. Your own personality. You must stop loving even your own life more than Jesus Christ. And if you've never heard anything about Jesus before today, you should be sitting there right now saying, who does this guy think he is? Jesus, to say all this to me. He is the eternal son of God. He is the creator of heaven and the earth. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the only savior of sinful man. Beloved, this is the cost of being a disciple of Christ. When the comparison is between Jesus on one hand and our most precious earthly relations on the other, one is to be loved so much that it appears we hate the others. The word hate in verse 26 is, of course, deliberately chosen by Jesus. Jesus chose this word to intensify the call for you to love earthly people less so you can love heaven's son more. Jesus is not calling us to practice hostility towards these family members. That's not what the word hate means here. Not hostility. He is not calling us to be insensitive toward them. He is not calling us to abandon all feeling toward them. What he is calling us to is to have no allegiance to them when compared to himself. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says something quite similar. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. How worthy he is. Jesus is of such great worth we must not try to set him alongside the other relationships we value. We must set him far above all other human relations. If we do not pay the cost of what he is worth, we cannot be his disciple. What does this look like in someone's life? Does it mean you refuse to call your mom on Mother's Day? Of course not. Does it mean that on Mother's Day we honor Christ more than our mothers? Absolutely. On Father's Day we must honor Christ more than our fathers. In fact, on every day we will still set Jesus apart as our highest relation. Jesus, Lord of my thoughts. Jesus, Lord of my plans. Jesus, Lord of my ambitions. We will not let our fathers, our mothers, our wives, our brothers, our sisters, or even our own selves tell us how to live unless they are telling us what Christ is telling us in his word. Imagine how difficult it would be for a young boy whose father wants him to grow up and play professional sports. 
Now, this father loves his son. He brings him to Sunday school. He brings him to worship. He prays with his son at dinner. But this father also sees his son's natural talent. He wants his son to reach his potential. So somewhere in this boy's teenage years, his father starts directing his son to put his talents first. The boy starts to miss worship services. And by the time he gets to college, he is so into sports that all he has time for is some Thursday night Christian campus ministry. But because Christ is so good, because Christ is so much better than a father on the earth, he meets another man at that Thursday night ministry who challenges this young boy to be a churchman and not a sportsman. He challenges this college-aged man to worship Christ in a world where everybody else is worshiping their talents. Now, how costly will it be for that boy to go to his father and say, Dad, I am moving this whole sports agenda down on my list of priorities, and I am putting Christ first in my life, first in my loves, first in worship, first in obedience. That would be costly. His dad might feel hated by his son for all that he has put out for his son. And the son might begin to even wonder if he hates himself too much. But beloved, this is what the word of Jesus Christ is saying. And that son will find a peace and rest and wholeness in his conscience because his life is in accord with the word of Christ. So here then is the cost of following Christ all the way into glory. It is the cost of death in this world. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is the cross? Beloved, the cross is an instrument of death. It is the executioner's chair of the ancient world. Why did the Romans nail criminals to crosses? They were doing it all the time. Some days you would go out and there would be a hundred of them nailed there. Why did they do it? To declare the criminal unfit for this world, to keep his body from touching the earth. He was so persona non grata. Jesus is saying, this is the cost of discipleship. Ordinary Christian discipleship. To follow Christ into his glory means we follow him in being rejected by the world. We don't try to overcome the world's rejection. We embrace it because it is the embracing of Jesus Christ. It is following him into his kingdom where we are welcome, where we are heirs, where we are sons and princes and princesses. Why do we try to escape the cross? Because we fear. We fear that what Jesus has said is not true. We must pray. He can conquer our fear. We are to welcome being rejected by the world, rejected by its agenda, 
rejected by its doctrine, rejected by its ambitions, rejected by its hopes, rejected by its dreams, rejected by the friends of the world even. How could someone possibly pay this cost? They can do it because by the Holy Spirit, they see Jesus is the Savior and God of their soul. He is worth more than anything they will ever lose in this life. This is where the two parables come in and the rest of the passage. Jesus now is teaching us how to count the cost at the beginning. And I think because it's the beginning of a new year, we need this teaching especially. In verse 28, he speaks about a builder, a man wants to build a tower. This tower may be a watchtower. It may be some kind of farm building. Either way, the man assumes that building a tower will be an improvement over what he currently has. It will either improve his profits as a farmer or improve his security as a landowner, right? But the big question is, can he afford to finish what he starts? If he cannot afford to finish, he will be without the the improvements he expected. He will be without the money he had when he started, and he will be shamed by his neighbors, not to mention his father-in-law. I just threw that in. Look at verse 29. Jesus says, when people see the builder's unfinished tower, they begin to mock him. They will say, verse 30, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, Jesus' point is very simple. Count the cost before you begin with him. Not before you begin at a new church. Not before you begin at a new job. Not before you begin some new religious habit. Count the cost before you begin with him. Jesus Christ. If you only discover the cost later, by surprise, as it were, you won't be able to pay it. So the Lord says, consider carefully what you will gain by building your life on me. You will gain everything. You will gain eternal life and eternal blessedness in God in the glory to come. You will gain by building. But know very well, you cannot gain this without paying a cost. Ordinary Christian faith requires a cost. Can you afford to follow Christ? The answer is no. If you see your only life as being here in this world with family, friends, and admirers, But the answer is yes, if you see that you already have a secure life outside this world in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ, who was crucified and raised, is your life, you can afford to lose your life in this world. You see, Christ has given to God all the obedience required of your life. 
Christ has received all the condemnation due against your life. Christ is your all and all. He has lived the life you could not live. He has endured the death you could not endure. He has been raised into the heavens, the only place your life is now safe. And because Christ has done this for you, he is your life. If you have him, by faith, you can afford to renounce your life in this world because your life is already secure in the world to come. Now, there's a second parable. It takes a slightly different angle than the first. In verse 31, Jesus says, A king is about to be invaded by another king. The invader is coming with 20,000 soldiers. The king being invaded has only 10,000 soldiers. He must carefully consider whether he can afford the cost of this war. To go to war will cost him something. It will cost the lives of some of his men, but by paying that cost, he could keep his kingdom and continue to rule as he pleases. But if he doesn't win against the larger army, he will lose both his men and his kingdom and his life. Maybe he should pay a different cost, which would be what? Surrender. Send a delegation. Come to terms of peace. That's verse 32. Make peace with the stronger invader. Lose his right to rule himself, but gain his life under the rule of another. So in the second parable, Jesus is asking you this. Can you, ref- can you afford to refuse my demands. That's what he's asking you. He is the invading king. And the answer is no, you cannot afford it. You cannot afford to refuse his demands. Jesus is the stronger invader. His kingdom is coming. He is overthrowing the kingdoms of this world. Today, he offers you terms of peace. His own blood, his own body, His death on the cross, he is outside the gate of your kingdom. And what will you do? Will you surrender and live? Or will you cling to your own power and die? Today he offers peace. Tomorrow, judgment. That is the offer but he is the best king to surrender to because he does not destroy those he subdues. He welcomes them and crowns them and summons them into his service. Do you see it? The only thing you can afford is surrender. That's the point of the second parable. If you don't surrender, you will have no life left to rule. You will be destroyed. If you do surrender, you will have life. But it won't be a life of your own making. It will be far better. It will be the life of Christ in you, the only life that heaven receives and welcomes and keeps forever. Beloved, beloved, 
This whole passage is about faith. It is not about good works. Christians should perform good works. The Christians should do the right thing. But Jesus is not talking to you about square two. He is talking to you in this text about square one. Do you know who he is? Do you know his supremacy in your life? Will you renounce everything for faith in Christ? This is ordinary Christian faith. You must know Christ to see him as worth more than your life in this world. Do not merely study what it means to be courageous to do what this passage says. You must study Christ because he is setting himself before you as worth more than all of your friends so that you will find it easier to be separated from your friends when they cling to the doctrines of demons and you, like a humble, foolish hobbit, cling to the doctrines of Christ. He is strengthening the heart of all who will believe here by announcements of his worth. Think of your father. Think of your mother. How important and precious are they to your life in this world? Jesus Christ is more important. He is more precious. Think of your wife and children. How important and precious are they to your life in this world? Christ is more precious. Think of your brothers. Think of your sisters. Think of your friends, your co-workers, your boss. How precious are they to you? Christ is more precious. He is more precious not because you feel him to be. He is more precious because God says he is. He is the divine son. He is more valuable because God the Father says, this is my son, the only one who built a life without ruin, without ruin of sin, without ruin of disobedience. This is my son, the only one who opens the door of eternal life to you. Your earthly father cannot open that door. Your mother cannot open that door. Your friends cannot open that door. Only Christ can open that door. Consider the great worth of Christ, and you will renounce life in this world. Now, some of you have discovered today that you don't have a real Christian faith. Some of you have discovered in this last 30 minutes that you, were, you would have been part of the crowds who followed Jesus around, but you did not really value him to leave behind that which was most precious to a good Palestine Jew, family. Some of you are discovering right now that you have not had saving faith in Jesus Christ. And you have discovered it in the word of God because Jesus came to you and told you this morning that he is of such great worth You must abandon abandon all your own versions of religion and come to him alone. You must renounce all your own doctrines 
and cling to his doctrines alone because he is God. If that is you, you really should rejoice because you were in a spell under the deceit of a false faith because you had an outer interest in Jesus, but you didn't want to pay any price. You didn't want to pay the cost of following him. You didn't want to renounce anything significant at all. But he has come to you to save you. If that is you, renounce all and confess Jesus Christ and follow him for the rest of your life, renouncing again and again in the way you believe and order everything about yourself. Because that's what faith will do. For you who are believers, you have been refreshed. You have been refreshed in the miracle of faith. God has revealed to you the worth of Jesus Christ. That's why you believe these things. Praise him. Let us pray. Father, Father, we believe your word. We believe the word of your son. We cannot be his disciples if we want a Christianity that costs us nothing. We cannot be his disciples if we love our earthly relations more than him. We cannot be his disciples if we want to keep our sin. We thank you, Lord, for telling us the truth. We thank you for even coming today and saving those who are where we once were. Lurkers, onlookers, hiding in the crowd. We thank you that you've come and summoned them out today that you have pressed upon their conscience with the sword of your mouth, and you have exposed to them that which they refuse to look at for so long, that they do not value Jesus Christ according to his divinity, his priestly mediation, his eternal power and glory. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to those, and you have given them all the words they need now to close with Christ by faith and renounce their life in this world for him. Father, our prayer is that we would all be renewed and refreshed in the incomparable worth of Jesus Christ, and that we would be, even more so, greatly strengthened to not try to make Christianity a low-cost religion. Keep us from the commerce of lies that Satan peddles in by presenting a Jesus to our friends who requires nothing to be renounced. Oh, Father, make us wise for this, not cruel, but wise and full of grace and truth as he is. In his name we pray, amen.